today we're talking to David Feldman. David is a founder and creative director of 3Al Media, a creative digital agency in Atlanta. He is also the media director and partner at ATL Collective, an Atlanta music organization that's been curating monthly concert series that cover classic albums in their entirety since 2009. David is the co-founder of the No Evil Living Room Concert Series and is on the board of directors of Social Sessions, a nonprofit music series based in Austin, Texas. This podcast is brought to you by Nectar Sunglasses. Hanging out in the sunshine and enjoying the good times, now that's what we call the sweet life. Well, if you're like me, you need two things, sunscreen and a good pair of shades. Well, you're in luck because the good people at Nectar have some incredible sunglasses and a slew of styles to match any personality. Just head to Nectarsunglasses.com and enter promo code DAILYBLEND, that's all one word, for 20% off your next pair. Just as a little brief setup, I met David down at his office and studio down in Edgewood, and we just jumped right into conversation. So with that said, I hope you enjoy. Good morning! To Atlanta Sightseeing, please take your seat and keep your hands and feet inside the railing at all times. It's a good story. I'm, I'm, so I came here yesterday. I didn't tell you this because I figured I wanted to record it. Sure. So I come here yesterday. I'm like a couple minutes late, and... I'm like looking at the address. I pull up and park right out front. And there's a like small woman who's standing outside your office. Um, and we're down here in Edgewood. And she just looks at me. She's like, you got a meeting today? And I was like, yeah. She's like, and the doors are open. And she has just um, put the polish on top of your cement down here. She goes, I don't think you're going to have a meeting today. <laughs> so I was like, me neither. So I like... Is that what you emailed me? Yeah, I was like, are we still going on? And then, um, so I was like, I went over to a bar to see a buddy after, and you were like, yeah, see you tomorrow. I was like, oh, it was Sunday, not Saturday. And I knew that. I was like, I'm just going to say, I'm going to look through these emails. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say, see you tomorrow. This has happened before. <laughs> and I was like, I was 100% sure that I fucked it up. No, I'm usually not that bad. And anyway, my, I was just like, ah. Uh, Classic. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that, but I was like, <laughs> I, I know what happened. We, so I knew exactly where your office was. This, this is what happens when you plan, like, weeks in advance. I like, I, it's, you know, you sent me this date, like, a month ago. So, yeah, all good. So, yeah, I'm trying to get better at, at planning ahead. But, so, give us a background. Tell me where we are and kind of, so, I, in, in this talk, I really want to talk about both your company and then kind of, like, ATL Collective. Yeah. Um, so, like... Give us like a background. I know before we started recording, you kind of talked about this office and this cool kind of cool space. So like, how did you find this place? Um, so I was kind of in a transition point in my life when I was applying to business schools, thinking that was like the responsible decision. I also just wanted two years off just to like, yeah. to party, to meet people and come out, hopefully like ahead of my career. Yeah. Um, so in that time I was doing project work for a company. I had a lot of free time. Um, and I joined a co-working space, um, Strongbox West, on the west side of town. Cool. Um, and I just took, I took everyone out to coffee. And I was just like, I'm trying to figure out my career. Tell me about you. And, you know, you ask anybody to go out to coffee and tell you their story, like, you get, you get good stories. So I had everyone tell me their story and recommend me a book. Huh. Um, so that, it was really cool seeing people who were in their 40s and 50s and who were doing well. And the, the people I was most inspired by were the, the entrepreneurs and self-starters who did their own thing. Um, but meanwhile, I was, you know, studying for the GMAT, um, but also freelancing. 
and like literally any media gig I could take, whether that's like a photo shoot, a video shoot, cobbling together a WordPress site. I was just, I was so enamored with like this whole like, you can make something that's professional just at your computer. It's the same thing with like DJing, like yeah. recording, like it's very like telling of 2015. Yeah. So I was making ends meet with that and really enjoying it. You know, doing a good enough job. And after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm paying my rent doing freelancing. I'm just going to keep doing this. So, delayed business school. And actually, the guy who cuts my hair connected me to somebody who needed a videographer. Because, like, you know, the guy who cuts your hair is the most connected guy in town. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where do you go? I go to Melrose and McQueen. Where's that? Um, it's in Inman Park, right on the Belt Line. It's Elizabeth Street. Cool place. Right, like kind of on that side street, they've got like a metal sign exactly. with nails. Yeah. Okay, so I've driven by there, and it's always like creative types, and there's like a furniture store, I yes. guess, right there. All it's, right. That place is so hip, and they throw an event called Mannequin Fest, man, the Mannequin Party. They literally give like 30 artists these mannequin heads, and they turn them into these crazy works of art. And it's December the 6th. It's like the dopest party of the year. Huh. But yeah, I've been going there for years. I'm not going yeah. to switch, but... The guy who cuts my hair connected me to someone who was looking for a videographer, and at that point, that was one of the hats I was wearing. Yeah, yeah. And she was actually, at the time, working out of here. Um, and I was driving like 20 minutes to the other co-working space, and this was like half a mile from my house. Came in here, saw you know, this really cool building on Edgewood. At the time, the downstairs was like this just open event space, and upstairs was like you know, my dream creative space. You know, old building, brick walls, like... You know, there's Radiohead posters on the wall. Where I, like, I walked in and saw, like, you know, Eric's Radiohead poster. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this, yeah. this feels right. So, you know, I talked to Eric, who was Eric Goldstein, who's a creative director in town. He was one of the people curating the space. And I asked him if they had an open desk. So, like, within a week, I moved over here. Yeah. So, I really like the people. I love the atmosphere. And I love this office because there's just, like, three or four companies here. So we all know what's going on in each other's business. Um, but I really grew a lot when I moved here. I was still a contractor at that point, but I saw how people here who were much more advanced in their careers were selling work, putting together proposals, pitching clients, and just learning how to do that and getting comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so in a few years, in like a two-year period, I was able to make a few hires. I have a, a business partner now, and I was able to, you know, I knew I liked photography and video and web design, but I also have a, you know, a business school background, so I like strategy and actually thinking about a bottom line so I've been very much trying to figure out how to focus and I know that you know to, to make it as a photographer you have to live and breathe photography especially now where you know you can buy an awesome camera with a you know prime lens for under a thousand dollars and take a photo that 10 years ago looked like you know fifteen thousand dollars of equipment super professional so that that landscape really changed so I I knew that I think my love was really building brands and like really rethinking how a brand presents itself and just knowing I, I love I'm the guy who like wakes up and the first thing I do is read like all the tech blogs and find out here's a cool new WordPress plugin or like here's like CSS has this new feature that on your phone like this is really cool actually um, using your phone sensor um, websites will actually change color depending on the light outside that's pretty awesome. This is just a... This is, this is going to be in... So CSS, like, yeah. a lot of these effects you're seeing are, like, still tested out. So um, it's a part of WebKit, which is, like, add-ons to CSS. Okay. So a lot of the new add-ons we're going to see are going to be through the phone, using your phones, you know, the, gyre, the gyrometer, using the camera. So, like, you go to a website, and then, you know, at night, it glows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and now they're going to pull off like the geolocation and be like, well, you're in New York and we did like a look up on weather.com and we know it's like snowy, so we'll change it. Yep. Yep. So like that's like with new CSS changes, you're going to see a lot more for mobile mm -hmm. um, because you're not, you're not always in one place, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I love things like that. I love talking to clients and getting them excited about, hey, like here's what's, here's what's coming up and here's, you know. Here's how your website in two years can still feel super modern. Um, so I started pitching clients and actually like, trying to figure out what the story of my company. My company is called Three Owl Media. Um, I had to rename the company because I was David Feldman Media, and I was on a phone call with a client. Like, this is David Feldman, president of David Feldman Media. I'm like, that can't. I have to change this immediately. It's terrible. So you know, ch change the name of the company. Um, so really, like, the questions we've been asking ourselves um, over the last few months, because we're at the point now where we're making ends meet, I'm able to have a few employees on staff. Um, it's, it's like what separates us from every other creative agency. Um, and what's interesting is everybody who works for me is also a musician and has a music background. So a lot of our clients are in that music creative space. We just rebranded and rebuilt Eddie's Attic's website. Um, and we... Uh, created the brand for Park Life Festival where Chris Stapleton played, um, Jason Isbell, and who both like blew up like, right after that festival. So yeah. we were able to create a brand for that. Um, so I really love, really love the music clients. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of work for musicians at, you know, at a much more affordable price. Um, but I, I love being involved in the musical and creative scene in Atlanta, really helping shape it. Um, and our agency actually, there's a music organization I've been a part of for five years called ETL Collective. Yeah. Um, and we really work hand in hand with them. Everybody in my company is also on the team of ETL Collective. Um, I think that's what really got me connected to the whole like creative music scene in the city. Um, so ETL Collective started in 2009 actually across the street from us at Dan's Coffee Shop. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we were, um, it was, the, the two co-founders were approached by the guy who owned Danimans. So let's do an open mic, and you know they they knew that you know Eddie's Attic has you know the gold standard for open mics, and they they wanted to do something more unique. So they covered Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Brought together some of their favorite musicians to cover an album, track by track, start to finish, and the idea was let's. Let's bring singer-songwriters together um, and have this you know, neutral playing ground, which is an album that we all love. It kind of takes ego out of it. Um, and let's, let's, let's collaborate on this record. Um, and what's great is you get, they did their first event. Um, you know, it was like 60, 70 people. That's all the Danimus could hold. Um, but you know, the crowd reaction was, it, it was very promising. Um, so they, I think they did like eight or so records at Danimus Coffee Shop. And the first one I came to, um, was Beatles Abbey Road, and at that time, like it was the idea was let's also bring a food hook. So there was like you know, Fleetwood Mac and cheese, um, <laughs> blood Bob Dylan's blood on the tracks of Bloody Marys, Abbey Road and Abbey Ale. You know, it was super homegrown. They would literally go out and like buy food and you know, serve it there. Um, so I remember seeing five bands covering Abbey Road, and then when they did the medley at the end all the bands came together and sang it and I thought this is awesome and I just got exposed to five local bands but I heard them sing Beatles songs right so now I want to go look up all these bands because they sang songs I was totally familiar with 
Um, so I went to the co-founder, Micah Dalton, who performed Octopus's Garden that night, and I told him, I think you've got the coolest thing going on in the city. Like, I, I love what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. I'll help you out with whatever you need. And they were, at that point, it was still, you know, friends getting together at a coffee shop. Um, so I joined the team more on the brand side, worked on the logo, website. Um, so six years later, we're in 2015, and the vision's not changed, which is bringing musicians together, celebrating the Atlanta singer-songwriter scene, putting it on the map, not just in Atlanta, but nationally. And you mentioned the music scene to anybody in the country about, you mentioned Atlanta, and it's always, oh yeah, you've got, ATL Collective must cover hip-hop albums. But we really have a thriving singer-songwriter community in the city. Um, so, 2015, we're still covering records. Um, we have a full team now of somebody who does our booking. We have a musical director who actually brings in the musicians for each show. Um, and we're playing venues like Terminal West and the Goat Farm, and we're you know, selling them out. Yeah. 600 people at a show. Um, but what's blown me away is, you know, for example, this summer we covered Stevie Wonder's songs, The Key of Life, which is a huge undertaking. That's a 20 song record. With, you know, it took Stevie Wonder two and a half years to record it, and there were like 80 musicians on that album. Um, we partnered with Atlanta Records, um, which is a local, they're part of Ropadope, which Snarky Puppy is on. Okay. Um, so they're like the Atlanta part of Ropadope Records. And we, we will do this. We'll actually have a, if our musical director is not bringing in musicians, we'll have a curator. Um, so they help curate the record. They brought in a bunch of musicians who work with them. We're all Atlanta based, but we had like a three piece horn section, two guitarists, three drummers, some of the, you know, incredible singers. There was a guy up on stage who won a Grammy. Um, so we covered this album track by track, start to finish. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. Um, and what I loved about that show in particular was the audience was, we had the, you know, 25 year old white kids and then your, your 65 year old black ladies who had, you know, grown up with that album and everything in between. That's awesome. And I, I love that. People remarked, like people actually came to, to me and said, God, like this audience, like I can't believe like what a cool demographic. You have everyone here. Yeah. Um, so like, last night we actually reimagined Nick Drake's Pink Moon. That's cool. Which, you know, that's, that's a tough album because it's literally guitar and vocal. So our music director, Robbie Hanley, um, arranged um, these incredible horn parts and had a four-piece horn section. We brought in a band with a harpist to like, help you know, create this like, really magical, ethereal feel to the record. So what's cool is a lot of people, especially doing a Nick Drake album, no one's ever seen him live. He's never performed live before. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know Yeah, he was, you know, he died at like 26 or 27. Um, we covered Jeff Buckley's Grace this summer, um, which was really cool because everybody who, everybody who was there it's a huge, you know, you're, you're not a casual Jeff Buckley fan, so there were 400 people there who had never seen Jeff Buckley live and got to hear this album live, track by track. So I, I love what we're doing um, because you're gonna have half the people in the room who say, this is my favorite record of all time, and I have all these memories associated with it. And we've also created a great community for musicians, um, a lot of whom are not able to play to sold out Terminal West. You know, these are guys who will and they'll play a show at Eddie's Attic, or they'll do you know, smaller shows than that, but to get a captive audience of 600 people. And we'll always have, if we have a musician that's you know, got an album that just came out, or that's visiting us, not from Atlanta, they'll do a featured set, so they get to play four or five originals. Oh, that's cool. So it does, it does a great thing for the music community as well, but you know, it's really fun, it's hard. We do an album every month. 
Which yeah, so what's the lead time on that? Like, so how do you decide, all right, December, January, right. since it's November now, like, what's your lead time? Who decides, like, which album you're going to go pick? Like, what's that process like? Um, so we've, we've got a few albums that we do every year. We always do Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, we've been doing that as our fourth year doing Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, you know, it's that one, it's that one night a year that we really get to be a party band. Yeah. Um, we are, we did James Brown's Funky Christmas last year at Terminal West. Um, and we partnered with Kevin Scott, who runs Atlanta Funk Society. Okay. And that was our first show at Terminal West. And we, you know, at that point, 300 people was our biggest show. And we sold out Terminal West. Nice. Um, what was awesome was we basically gave Kevin Scott a budget and said, hey, bring in like your dream team of funk musicians. So he brought in Bernard Purdy on drums. Um, if you look up Bernard Purdy, he is the most recorded drummer in the history of drums. And he lives here? He lives in New York. Oh, and so, so you we guys were, are getting people flying in from out of town. We will, it's usually, it's very Atlanta-centric, but we'll bring in, for the Funk Christmas show, we told Kevin Scott, bring in whoever you can within this budget. So he brought in, it was a great Atlanta contingent, but you know, Bernard Purdy has recorded with James Brown. Um, and has recorded with the greats, and he came in and played, and a lot of the audience there was like, we can't believe we're seeing Bernard Purdy live. And, you know, we talked to him after the show, and, and you know, I didn't know. I thought, oh, yeah, this is just like another gig for Bernard Purdy. And he said, you know, at this point in my career, I, I'm, I'm not going to play these shows that are really meaningful. Like, you know, he plays corporate gigs. So for him, it was a really big deal. Like, he got to play with these awesome musicians, play cool. James Brown music. So we do James Brown's Funk Christmas every year. We're doing it again. We're announcing our lineup tomorrow morning. It's nice. same thing. Like people who played with James Brown, Parliament. Like it's the list is crazy. Um, so I can't wait to announce that tomorrow morning. Um, and I got to imagine, right? So if you're a musician, right? So you play. Typically, you play your songs and maybe some some ones you love. But it's also interesting for them because they get to maybe like go outside of their like lane or comfort zone and play some stuff that they Absol- normally wouldn't. Absolutely, play. yeah. Yep. Um, for example, there's a, there's a mu- musician named Cleveland Jones um, who we booked for the Sade show and the Stevie Wonder show. He's got a huge soulful voice. Yeah. And then we brought him in to sing on Jeff Buckley's Grace and he, he wasn't even familiar with it. Yeah. So I was talking to him just a few days ago about that. He said, yeah, like I, I wasn't familiar with him and that, even that genre of music wasn't familiar, but he killed it. But he killed it with a soul vibe. And that's yeah. really cool for the audience to hear these reimaginations of, of these songs. And it depends. At our show, sometimes you'll hear a song that's literally like note for note. And then you'll hear, you know, for example, we did, um, we did Led Zeppelin IV. Um, going to California was a duet between a cello and a guitarist. And the cello just played the melody line. And it was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then you'll hear, you know, you hear Billie Jean note for note. So right, it's, right, right. It's, 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 you, you never know. But I got to imagine too, right? So you've got you've got you know your audience that comes and, and is like you know I know these records and I'm like excited to hear them either reimagined or original. Right. But then there's probably like a little bit of the audience who's like comes with a friend and is like, well, my friend dragged me to the show and I don't know this person, and then like goes home and like looks it up because they had like an amazing experience. Right. So like, and that's like one of my favorite things when like a friend will be like hey, you know, this isn't your genre or, like, your, your kind of area, but come with me to this concert. Right. I'll go here and be like, oh, my God, this band's amazing. And then I'll go home and be like, all right, I need to buy their album. I right. need to, like, listen to their stuff on, like, Apple Music or Spotify. So 
that's kind of, I think there's probably a good portion of people who are coming to your show and like learning new bands for the first time. They are. And yeah. what we learned, we were trying, you know, we, we've been trying to figure out the formula. Is it the album? Is it, you know, what bands we bring in? Is it the venues, the night of the week? And really the, the album itself is really what pulls people in. Yeah. And then we're bringing in mostly Atlanta musicians who are killing it. And I mean, I myself, like, I can't believe how much talent we have here yeah. and how many musicians I've discovered. Who just, there's been some folks who've just brought down the house and they're you know, based out of Atlanta. So I, I do the same thing. Right. Um, I don't book the talent. I mean, we have a music director. So for me, like, I'll do the branding, I'll work with my team on the poster, you know, do all, you know, all the strategy. But our music director is truly in charge of bringing the bands together. So for our team, um, it's like being an actor in a film. Like when you're, you're filming, you know everything, but you never, you don't see the final cut until the premiere. And that's huh. kind of how it is for me. Like, that's cool. We don't know what's going to... So when I go to a show, like, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I'm confident that it's going to be something really special. Yeah, but that's probably just as much... You know, you're as excited as, yes. as the next person. I'm, is, exactly. Yeah. And I, that's what... It, our whole team loves that. Like, I, I was... You know, Nick Drake yesterday. I walked in and I saw a harp on stage and I saw in this horn section. Like, that's... that's I can't wait to hear what happened. Yeah. Um, so what, as far as picking records go... Um, you know, if it's if it's summer, we try to do you know good summer albums. We did Paul Simon's Graceland in the summer. Um, for Valentine's Day, we try to curate it. Um, you know, with a kind of like you know a sexier record. We've done Prince a couple of times. We're gonna do we're gonna do a Sade record for Valentine's Day in February. Um, so uh, there's also times where we bring in an artist. Like we have artists we really want to bring in, and they'll love a particular record. So we'll you know build the show around them. Um, but you know, it's a lot. A lot of us find the balance between doing, you know, those like top hundred records of all time, but then also doing records that people love but are a little bit more have have a little bit more of a cult following. Ah, okay. Like you know, we did um, Paul McCartney's Ram, which it's an awesome record, but it's not a really well known record. Right. You know, there were ninety people at Elliott Street Pub. It was packed, and every person in that room said, "I can't, I cannot believe you guys are covering Ram. Like this is this is incredible that we're hearing. We we were sure we never hear this album live." Huh. So there's a good mix between those shows that are going to you know, sell out Terminal West and then the shows that, you know, production isn't really high because, you know, LA Street Pop's a tiny venue. Right. We do the same thing with uh, Derek and the Domino's Layla. We brought in Delta Moon and they're like, you know, they've been, they're the same age as, as Eric Clapton. They're all guys in their late 60s, early 70s who are just these, this blues band that's been around forever and that, they loved it. Just like seeing how much fun they were having covering it was nice. really awesome. And now, are all the shows, like, so where do you guys, do you guys always do the same venue? It sounds like you're doing a couple different venues. We do a couple of different venues. It depends on the album. You know, if we're going to do a Bob Dylan record, we're going to be at Eddie's Attic. Because right. it's, you know, super intimate. Um, we love Term Terminal West is a really great venue because it's, I've, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. It works for, you know, an electronic show, just yeah. as well as a folk show and everything in between. Like, I, I love that venue for basically anything. Yeah, I think it's the best sound system in the outside of... Cielo in New York, I can't find a venue that's got a better sound system or like a, a more appropriate vibe. Like it's like a thousand people. I think their capacity is like eight or nine hundred. But yeah, like you said, it's perfect for any genre. I've seen a funk band in the next night, like a trap show, and I'm just yeah. like, this works. It works. Yeah. And what I love, I was sitting um, next to the sound and light team during the show, and the like I said, what colors are you feeling for this record? Yes, I'm so happy you asked me that question. I'm like, well, like, 
know, for Chuck Buckley's Grace gives us a lot of like blues, and then for uh, Songs of the Key of Life gives like a lot of oranges and bright colors, and like we jammed the last song, and they they hit the strobe button, and it worked. Like yeah. they, that's the sound guy and the light guy are really listening. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, it's great. Like they've really thought through everything. We actually performed at Vankman's last night. Oh, cool. Um, which is the guys from Yacht Rock, and um, Nick Melvin, who was. Um, Executive chef at um, Empire State South owns Do South Pickles. Um, that's a great venue as well. It fits. They do dinner shows, so they can fit like 150 or so. But they take out the seats. It's like 300 people. Uh, but same thing. Great sound system. Really cool venues in the Old Fourth Ward and a really cool part of town. So I, I'm excited to see what that venue will be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, that like just part of the part of town for me is just like I, I can't wait to see more and more. People figure it out and yeah. coming in and not just like the folks that already know it but like surrounding people I see people coming in from like Buckhead and be like oh, I'm going down to Old Fourth Ward right. I'm a little nervous I'm like you're going to be safe right. you're going to be fine pack, pack your day bag yeah, 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 yeah. don't worry you'll be alright <laughs> yeah so that's cool nice Ugh. so what's uh, what's next for you guys as far as so you know, you've got your Christmas album, so will you guys start thinking about January, February, or are you going to wait until you get done? Yeah, we, what we do need to do, um, we need to put, so the way, the way booking shows works, you need to put yeah. holds on venues. Right. Um, so if, like, let's say we put a hold at Terminal West on like the third Saturday of February, yeah. um, there might be somebody else who has a hold, uh, but then, you know, let's say we're second hold and then we're ready to confirm, then, you know, we can challenge the first hold. So three months or so, oh, okay. three to four months is, you know, that sweet spot for booking a venue. Um, we're actually going to, we've seen so many regular faces at shows recently. Um, we're going to do season ticketing. Um, not for the full year, but four shows at a time. So we've actually got our four shows for next year. Um, we know what albums we're doing and we know what venues we want to do them in. You know, with an artist, you can't book somebody too far in advance just because they, you know, you don't want to book somebody in... December for June because they might be playing a festival circuit. So like right. you know, two to three months out at most for artists. Um, but yeah, we definitely talk about records and the feel that we want. Like we know we really want to do a Shaw Day record in February and in January. We we want to do. Um, um, what are we doing? Do a Joni Joni Mitchell's Blue, and we've actually got a great lineup of just like superstar female singers. Nice. Um, who are going to come in because they just love that record. Um, I've been pushing for Radiohead's OK Computer for, you know, six years now. And that would be a pretty cool album to uh, to cover. I think our, like, mutual friend, Josh Wallace, put me onto the, like, he's like, you need to listen to Radiohead. I'm like, I don't know. I heard a couple songs. I'm not into it. And he, like, put me onto that album. I was like, all right, I get this band. Yeah. Like, and then I started, like, digging into some stuff. It was one of those, like, for me, it was one of those bands where, with all of their albums. It wasn't, like, the first listen, I wasn't into it. It was like I had to listen to it a couple times. Just this was for me, and then I was like, oh, "I get this. I get where these guys are going." Yeah, really cool sound. You know, a little more experimental. I dig it. Yeah, it yeah. takes it takes digging. I've actually they're my favorite band, but every time they put an album out, I don't like it at first. Yeah, yeah. And then I fall in love with it. Um, but that's been just from a lot of musicians I've talked to. That's been the album that we've wanted to cover. Um, so we, we've got an idea of what's going to happen in, in 2016. Now, um, do you guys ever go to, like, your fans, you're saying you're seeing more familiar faces and being like, 
post like, hey, who would you like to see, or do you guys kind of like to keep it? Yeah, we actually internal? we've done um, we've done a we did a post this year just asking what people wanted. Creative Loafing actually put out, hey, like here's ten albums we really want your ATF to cover. <laughs> you know, some of them were like totally on our list, and then some were just <laughs> so out there. But you know what? What I'm hoping for is in like you know, we are the most modern album we've covered was Jeff Buckley's Grace, so that's like mid '90s. You know, I'm thinking of you know if I we're doing this in 20 years, we're gonna be covering, you know, like, Arcade Fire's first record, or like, there's gonna be a point where we're like, man, that didn't, that didn't sync record, that day <laughs> So who, you know, who knows? Someone so. jamming out to Bye Bye Bye. Right, okay. well, you know, there's not been a record we've done that I remember going to the store and buying, you know, I'm, I'm 29, so, but I can imagine if there's plenty of people who remember going out and buying a lot of these records. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, another, We've done this a few times this year. We're actually doing the Funky Christmas show in both Atlanta and Athens. Oh, that's cool. Where are you doing it in Athens? At the Foundry. Okay. Um, we're doing that on a Friday. Um, so, you know, what happens is we put together these superstar bands for a show. We'd love to put them on the road and do the, you know, the Birmingham, Nashville, Athens, Atlanta circuit. So that's, you know, that's one of our dreams for next year is to, you know, do four cities. Because um, we have some, our previous music director, um, one of the uh, lead singers in the Shadow Boxers, we're now in Nashville. So we've got, you know, we've got our connections in other cities. Right. So we'd love to do that. You know, we're, right now I'm doing a big push to get more corporate sponsorship and local sponsorship. Um, MailChimp has been great to us and really nice. supportive. Um, and then we have some, you know, some more, much more local sponsors like Criminal Records, which just makes perfect sense, and Old Fourth Distillery, which is literally on the other side yeah, of the yeah. So we got some really cool local guys that are that are aligned with the brand as well. That'd be cool if you could sell the album, right? Cause like that's the one thing I love is like going to a show and then like there's a vinyl being sold, and you know you can like touch and feel it. And yeah. Be, like if Criminal could find a way to like bring records to sell. So we do that actually. Okay. We, at every show, Criminal gives us a couple of records. We give them away oh, nice. at every show. It's just nice. I love when our MCs holding the record because you're right. Like that yeah. physical. There's just parts just about holding a piece of artwork. Yeah, and for me, like I always struggled when online like downloading became like a thing, like through iTunes or wherever. I really struggled with remembering the album or like the song people are like you know this song and i'm like no and then they'll play it i'm like oh i know this song yeah and it was because like i got the tail end of buying vinyl right i was going to the record stores when i was like 12 or 13 and like flipping through it smelling it feeling it touching it and that that association was really strong for me and yeah and and i you know i buy music online but i'm like starting to buy more vinyl again just because i like it like it sounds better it feels great like I'm like I have a more emotional tie with yeah. the album I'm like you know I'll get like a piece of vinyl and just be like race home to play it yeah I definitely it just for me it's like great feeling it's I think what's really gone out the window for me is knowing song titles like, oh yeah I, I don't have a clue I don't have a clue I went and saw Beach House a couple of weeks ago and I crushed their new album I listened to it so much but I listened to it on Apple Music I knew every song. I did not know a single title. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm that guy now. If I don't buy it on vinyl, you I don't know. Liner notes, I don't know. Like I, I bought Sufjan Stevens' new record on vinyl, and I knew the song titles because I read along with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's something. I feel like I get into albums faster if I buy them on vinyl because like I like you can you have your little your little servings of like side A and side B or right. sometimes C and D. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've seen the numbers. Vinyl sales are up astronomically, yeah. but I, I talked to the guys at Criminal Records, and he, 
the owner, um, Eric Levin, who actually started Record Store Day. I don't know if, oh. if you knew that. Like, I did not know that. Record Store Day started at Criminal Records by Eric Levin. That's like, that, that happened here out of Atlanta. Well, if you look back in like the 90s, like that little scene was pretty incredible. Like I, I, there was a Satellite Records, which for like dance music was New York, um, Boston, and Atlanta. And if you wanted like a piece of vinyl for dance music, you went to that. Like I remember shopping here and running into like Tommy Sunshine, who's like this pretty like underground but like kind of starting to hit the mainstream of dance music and then like in New York it was like I was shopping next to like Tiesto and Paul Oakenfold which are like mega stars you know, yeah. collecting millions but then there were like other like Criminal was down there um, Wax and Facts was down right. there and there were a few others and I was just like always going down there you know to buy my records it was it was a cool place but I didn't know that's where it started I didn't realize like I knew that they were very involved but I was talking to Eric and I said just to clarify, did you start this? Is it, yeah, it was me and a friend started this. It was the 10-year or the 20-year, maybe the 10-year anniversary, 2015. Um, I don't remember what I was what I was talking about right before that. We're talking about buying vinyl versus the, the sales are going up. Oh yeah, like yeah. so I was talking to Eric and he's saying if ATF Collective wants to print a vinyl, you're gonna have to get in with these vinyl printing houses, like months and months in advance yeah. because they, they can't print them quick enough. Yeah, well, th there used to be like 30 or 40 houses and now there's only like 5 or 10. Exactly. It's gone way down. It's gone away and now they're starting to build more houses. Yeah, yeah. but I like I remember talking to a few DJs who were like, in, like you know, I just, my, my end is not through rock bands, it's through DJs and they were like, you know, like, just like you had your good engineer guy, you had your good like vinyl press guy. So, yeah. you know, if you, if you couldn't go with number one, you'd go with like, you know, your second guy, and you knew it wouldn't sound as good. Right. You still needed, like, to get that promo out, so, yeah. But, uh, you know, you're talking about, like, um, you know, record day. Um, I love it because, like, bands and labels are starting to put out, like, limited editions. Yeah. And I went to, I had the, like, privilege of going to LCD Sound Systems' final show at Madison Square Garden. I just got chills with you saying that. But, but oh here's, here, here's the Tell me about that. Here's the interesting thing is, so, so I had, like, a, a crew of Atlanta people who were going to be up in New York. And I was, I think at the time I was working up in like the Northeast. So I'd fly up every week. And there was one guy, a guy named Maxwell, who I've become really good friends with. And he was living up there. So we kind of all like conjugate, uh, you know, met up at his place. And the deal is, I think everyone wore all white or all black, mm -hmm. one of those things. But it was like 30 people from like Atlanta that I knew from faces. I knew like half of them. And then yeah. the other people like, I remember seeing uh, this girl, Liza Dunning, who was like one of the Scout Mob founders and like now works for Airbnb. I was like, I know you, but you're here and we're going to go see a band together. And people were like, are you really ready for the show? And I was like, yeah, I'm really excited. I had never heard them before. I saw, there's, wow. two, there's, two bands in, there's two bands in my life where I'd like lie because I was so embarrassed. Them and Arcade Fire. But yeah, so I had never heard them before. And we were kind of getting close to the show and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to them. I just want to like be in the moment, listen to the songs for the first time. And like, yeah, it's my first time hearing them. And I, you know, I went and saw the movie, like the documentary mm -hmm. of their last show. And I'm hearing rumors they're going to play yeah. Coachella this year. Yeah. So I'm hopeful, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was my first time seeing them. That's... And it was definitely one of the best music experiences of my life. Uh, I, so I saw them on that tour about a week before they announced they were 
disbanding. So I remember seeing them, thinking, can't wait to see them again. Yeah. And none of us knew that they were going to disband. But that, I, I still say it was Sleigh Bell's opening for LCD Sound System at the Tabernacle. Wow. And you know, you know when you walk out of a show and you, there's like a certain tier of shows that you put into like that like very like transports it to another place. Like, right, right, right. You know, that's my, like, gold standard was LCD Sound System. I have, like, a handful of other shows that are up there. Yeah. Because you never know. I, there's a lot of records I love, and the band is good live, but then that they're, they're just, you know, incredible. Yeah, they were great. And then they brought, like, Arcade Fire out, which I thought was, like, pretty slick and just... I mean, at one point, I think there was, like, 20 people on stage. I was yeah. just like, this is amazing. Yeah. And the whole place was into it. And I think at the end, they dropped, like, balloons or confetti, and I was just like, I just witnessed something Yep. Yeah, and like walking out of there, it was like maybe midnight, maybe one, and we were like, everyone was just so just full of energy. It was like, all right, we got to go find a party. We have, we have yeah. to like run this energy off. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful they come back. Yeah, me too. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been kind of following their label, but, you know, it's interesting to see like the artists they put out and like how, um, what's the guy's name? That's why am I drawing a blank on the lead singer's name? James Murphy. Um, yeah, like how he's producing records. And yeah. They did an event where they, they partnered with a speaker company and did like four events where this, the guy who designed their speakers like went to each venue and made special speaker sets just for the vinyl sets. Wow. And oh, I, I was... I love that. Yeah, my, um, my editor went and covered it. Um, so I, I write product reviews for DJ Magazine and he went and covered it. He's like, well, they're playing records, so... I'm going to cover this for our magazine. I was like, yeah, you lucky, lucky guy for getting to cover that. But yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't know he did that. I've I've never, I've never talked to anybody who went to that show. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm trying to go out to Coachella in hopes that they play this year. Yeah. I went to, with Josh, actually, we went to Coachella twice in a row together. Um, and then didn't love, I'm much more of a rock, rock and like, if it's electronic music, it's more of the hot chip and LCD sound system right. than it is like the EDM. Yeah. So I went to Bonnaroo this year and it was just so much easier because we just drove up there in an RV. Um, if, if Coachella is the only festival that's got LCD sound system, I'll be there. Yeah. And, and look, anywhere that LCD sound system or Daft Punk is playing, I'm, that, I'm gonna go. Yeah, that's for sure. So we'll see. Yeah, I was, um, so I went out to Coachella two years ago and it was like the Outcast came back. Yeah. And they were supposed to be like the big draw and it really for me it was actually pretty disappointing like i think um dr- dr- uh big one of them said like we just sucked we weren't that good we hadn't played together but um who did i see rk fire killed it mm-hmm. this this group that's now getting more popular um three sisters called ham or him oh yeah Haim. Haim. I don't I, know yeah i don't either I, they, I, they were shocking they were like i've heard they're really good live like one o'clock in the afternoon like small side stage and they killed it i was like that's a pretty good band yeah and then chromio for me like was pretty spectacular and for two guys like on stage they've got a pretty good uh you know, stage presence. I yeah. was I was impressed, and yeah, you see all the like EDMs and like the Sahara tent, and that was fun. But for me, it was like about the bands that show. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm trying to get back out there. It's an interesting scene to see at Coachella because it's not it's not your typical festival scene. It's a scene. It's like you have fashion blogs covering. Coachella. Yeah, that's that's and, exactly what it is. And, and like when you're camping and covered in like 
dirt and like it's really it's really hard to like let your guard down in a festival and there's also just like people who have spent so much time getting ready yeah which is i think why i love bonnaroo because i just was like dirty and everyone was dirty <laughs> and you know still like lots of amazing music i saw i saw robert plant and billy joel back to back that's pretty and i was cool. like what what is happening in my, you know, I, I got his chant, you know, the vocal chant of rock and roll with Robert Plant singing to me, and I was like, I can't believe that that just happened. Yeah. Um, like, I can go to bed now. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm somewhere in between, so I don't like to get, like, doll, how would you say this, dolled up or ready, but, like, I don't like to be dirty. I like showers, so for me, I can't. A Bonnaroo will never happen. <laughs> and but like the Coachella thing, it did feel like very structured. Like even like getting to and from it like felt way too organized. Yeah. There was like no journey where you met like random people along right. the way. People were like on their cell phones and like checking in. I was like, I don't want this. Yeah. I come from like where it was like, hey, we heard this, you know, DJ's playing this random show, you know, you gotta go get like a, a pass from this like bar and then you know, the sign and you go down these stairs and I like that vibe. Versus right. It's like, yeah, we're here and you know, let's take a selfie and let's check in. Yep. That just kind of ruined it a it, little yeah, bit for me. I hear you. And Coachella has that like 1130 PM or 11 PM yeah. curfew, like things end right on time, start on time, which is great. But at the same time, there's also not that, like you said, that discovery. Yeah. That kind of free form. Yeah. But you know, I, the first time I went to Coachella, it was, I love it. I mean, I, I love what, whatever whatever place music festivals take me to. Like, I can't get that anywhere until I'm at a festival. So. Yeah, that's true. I agree with that. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for taking the time sure. to talk with me. Um, thanks for being part of the, the first podcast.